what's up out there, podcast world? You're now listening to Patina Code Presents Stay With Me. Once again, I'm your host, Dennis. Today we have Ben Brown, aka S10 Rat on Instagram. He's going to get into that and a few other things. So without further ado, let's hop right into this podcast. Now, how many cars are you up to? Because you're, you're far. You're, so you're S10 Rat, but now you're further along than that. Oh yeah, and, and the I have the unfortunate uh, common problem of naming myself on like a platform like Instagram or something, right? With the name of a project that I've since abandoned. Right, 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 right. It's good, like if you got your just different media outlets, it doesn't matter which one. Instagram, Facebook, it doesn't matter. It's a this, this whole thing. The podcast is a platform for people to to. Just tell their story, share their information, and if they got something going on, put that out there where maybe if somebody's listening, they're interested, they can get a hold of you, you know, and or go check your page, follow you, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that's what cool. it's about. So I'm up to 11 cars again. <laughs> you said again. What was you down to, 10? <laughs> well, yeah, I, it comes and it goes. I've had, I've, like, I don't know, um, I have to think about how many I've had here and there, but... The number goes up and down. I've, I I don't have any cars I had when I was in high school or college. And I, the car I've had the longest, I guess, is my wagon. That's be, kind of become my signature now because I've been on three power tours recently and two drag weeks with it. Wow. And it's the one that's on the shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've had that since 2002. Oh, okay. So You're coming it's up. not my first hot rod. So, so is that the longest? So, two thousand two—that's almost been for uh, twenty years. Yeah, that you've had that car because it's twenty two is coming up here in another six weeks right. or so. So, yeah. And, and I've had the little Buick Skylark or Skyhawk almost that long since t- two thousand three, I guess, or no, two thousand four. I've had that one, Ooh. and everything else I've got's coming gone in the meantime. Man, so that's that's not a bad habit to have. Is collect. I know about it. I'm not up to eleven. I I only have seven cars, but they're you know, yeah. it's fun to to have them to to where you can just go and tinker on this one and tinker on that one and then decide on one to go with for a while. You know, right? Yeah. Now what generally happens, like uh, right now, I rent a, a little uh, one day shop in Baltimore. I have my, like, when I got my lift and my tools and stuff. And next door to that is a tow lot. Now you see where it's going. That's why I have too many cars again, because he tows in stuff. He goes, oh, check out what I just towed in. And I look over at it. I'm like, yeah, okay. And then he tows in something else. I'm like, oh. So, So the two cars that I got that are old, I got from a guy that I used, that was my best friend. I used to share a shop with in Pennsylvania. And he towed in junk cars. Oh. And the deal we had was anything he towed in, I was I could buy from him for the same as scrap price. Whatever he would have got for scrap that week, I could pay him that, and then he wouldn't even have to tow it to the to the scrap place. Wow! So it saved him, saved him some money. So I had the two cars I still got, and a, and a bunch of other ones that I had for a while, or whatever, and some parts cars and stuff like that. Well, um, he passed away in two thousand and eight, and I had to move all my stuff. And then uh, since landed here, and now this guy that I I actually now I store cars on his lot and stuff. I've gotten the forty Desoto from him, the sixty one Falcon from him, 
a 2001 Wrangler, um, and several parts cars that I just gotten parts off of and then let him, you know, I didn't want the whole car. And I've even given him a couple cars. We had a, uh, Bravada, 98 Bravada that I got from a coworker for 300 bucks. We fixed it up and it was the family car. My daughter took her drive, her driving test in it and stuff like that. But it since, you know, the engine ran good because I replaced the engine. That's not an old story. But anyway, it got so like, it just wasn't worth fixing anymore. So I gave that to the jump man after I took some parts off of it. So, you know, it's a two way relationship. Yeah, that's <laughs> hey man, that's not a bad setup, man. I wish I had somebody that was scrapping cars next to me where I could just be like, oh yeah, I want that one. You know, that that's pretty cool. So you got started, you said, as a teenager. What got you into the whole thing? Like, you just was like, man, I want a hot rod. My father and my older brother, my oldest brother, Jeff, mm. who he passed away in 1989 in a motorcycle accident. So oh. I've had two car best friends that have, have passed away. It's kind of rough sometimes, but mm. he was into cars and, and stuff, and he's seven years older than me. So, um, and then my father, he, he, he built hot rods uh, uh, before I was, uh, well, before I could remember. Um, he kind of, he, he had gotten, uh, he liked autocrossing. So one, some of my earliest memories were some of his early stuff, but then he stopped doing stuff with it, and the cars just sat in the backyard, the ones that he had. He had a 63 Austin Healey Sprite that was rusted out, but it ran. And then he got a – he traded a, a Corvair engine for a 65 MG body. And I was four years old, and I remember him starting that Corvair engine up and sitting on the ground. It wasn't in the car anymore because he had had it in a hot rod. That's another story, but – I remember the thing was loud. There was fire coming out of the, the straight pipes. And uh, I think that's probably what set the hook to make me a car nut. Yeah, okay. That engine running outside the car. Of course, the air cooled like a, like, you know, like a Volkswagen, so it wasn't right. like it was going to overheat or nothing. And he had it sitting on the ground revving it up. And I'm like four and a half years old. We had just moved to this house. And I was just you know, like, wow. Um, so and he started teaching me stuff about electronics and about cars and different things as I was getting older before my parents split. So, and then my oldest brother helped out, you know, he's, he took me in under his wing some and taught me some more stuff too. And we hung out some, I was riding a bus back and forth to school past this shop that had a 69 charger sitting on blocks out in front of it. And this is when the Dukes of Hazzard got on TV and stuff. And it was even orange. Really? It turned out it was a 440 RT charger. And I pestered my brother about it. He left, he was like, he only was like 20, 21 or something. I guess, yeah. And I was like, man, you got to check this car. You got to buy this car. You got to buy this car. He ended up buying it. And that was the fastest car I'd ever been in to that point. And he dro- I remember we were on the ball- uh, Capitol Beltway going over 100 miles an hour in the thing. Oh. That was cool. Holy and, shit. Whatever happened to it? Uh, he bought it for probably, I think it was five or 600 bucks. Got some tires and wheels on it. It broke down a few times. He fixed up some little stuff. And then I'll, for whatever reason... He sold it, and he got like 3500 for it. Right. This was all in the 80s. Right. You know, before, yeah, so, yeah, he did really good with that one, but he drove it for a while until he sold it, and that thing was fast. Man. So. Yeah, that was, see, back in the day, like in the 80s, even in the early 90s, I'd open up the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and they had a classified section. And you would see... 64 Impalas, 63, 62 Impalas, 55 Chevys. They'd be like 150 bucks, 500 bucks, you know, 
Yeah. Needs is it did say really simple stuff that it would need. Needs front brakes. Five hundred bucks. And it was like, holy shit. And you know, they had three twenty sevens in them and all this other shit. But you know, again, you know, you're talking thirty years ago, right? And yeah, it's just uh, and at that time, those cars were well about thirty years old. You know, from the '60s, they get into the '90s. You know, they're thirty-year-old cars, so they have just like little baby spots of rust. You know, the beginnings right. of the rust. So they were still decent cars. The interiors weren't completely ripped out bad or nothing. Maybe the wear spot in the driver's seat and whatnot, but. Yeah, you could get a decent car. Shit, now you can't even get. I don't even know what you can get for five hundred bucks anymore. <laughs> right. You know. Yep. And my father, uh, my my brother got my first car. He gave me several cars. He was my first car dealer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he gave me a car for my sixteenth birthday that I took apart, ruined, and junked. It was a '73 Olds Cutlass Supreme four door with a 350 rocket in it. Oh. Um, before that, he tried to give me my first car. I still count it as my first car. I was 15 years old. I came back from summer at my grandparents, and he says, hey, I got this car for you. It was a 63 Chevy with a 327 in it, and he was doing some work on it for the owner, and she passed away, and her husband just gave it to my brother. I don't know what to do with it. You just you can have it. You've been working on it. You can have it. And my brother tried to give it to me, and my father said, no, you can't have it, because he had at the time, he was biased against General Motors products. That's another whole story. So I, I had to tell my brother, ah, he won't let me bring it home. And remember I said I had those other two cars were sitting in the yard already? Yeah. He said, there's no room in the yard for another car anyhow. So I was like, all right. So that went away. Oh, man. And then later I just, just probably to get back at him, probably because it was a great deal. I, I bought a another 63 Chevy, and it was a really good car. And I had that for a while, a little while, and then I, w- I went overseas. So it, it, I, I just left. I just ended up my um, the guys I was working for sold it for me, and they, I think they got like three hundred fifty bucks for it, and it's ridiculously cheap. Oh hell yeah, man! Hell yeah! Yeah, that was an eighty-seven. <laughs> so, I mean, I, well, why was your dad biased uh, to the GM? What happened? Okay, so um, before I was born, he was. He had my, like I said, I had a, two older brothers and an older sister. And this would have been before my sister was born. We already had the two kids. So he had station wagons. Um, they're from Massachusetts. So they're kind of frugal and stuff. And he moved down to Maryland. And anyway, he, he went to find a decent station wagon because the last one was a 57 Studebaker was falling apart. So he found a 62 uh, Oldsmobile F85 station wagon. It had the aluminum, all aluminum V8 in it, and uh, it was it was like two two or two and a half years old when he got it. So it looked great, and it already was having issues with the engine, and, and it was automatic. And the time that he had it, which was maybe he traded it in on a brand new '66 Valiant wagon. So I think he, when he got it, my sister wasn't born yet. She was born in June of '65, so he had it like '64, '65. Um, it blew the head gaskets twice. It, it cracked a ring or something, maybe from overheating, whatever. And so it, it had lots of blow by. And that car didn't have, uh, it had a road draft tube. So what he did was he hooked a garden hose to the road draft tube and ran it all the way out the backs. And they said it would puff smoke rings out the, out the back of the car from the blow by. Um, the transmission locked up on my mom. And, and when he said that, I'm not sure what he meant, but. Basically, we dropped the pan and pieces fell out, and he got it to work. 
but the shifter wouldn't if you put it in park it would jam up and wouldn't come out of park again like one of the linkage pieces got bent or something because a cop tried to move the shifter and bent it so he got it to where he you just start it in gear and not ever put it in park again and you set the parking brake when you stop someplace so and he is so disillusioned with his car it's only two two or three years old and it was breaking right and left it was just such a piece of crap that he got an attitude about GM stuff and he carried that attitude forward all the way into the eighties. Oh, so man. when he traded it on the Valiant, the Valiant was such a great car. He really liked the Chrysler products. So he traded a 66 Valiant on a 73 Plymouth station wagon, which is what I grew up riding around in. So he was like, that was one of his things, but the 63 Chevy, he's like, no, it's a Chevy. They're horrible. It's got probably got a slip and slide power glide. That's what everybody would say about power glides. <laughs> And you can't have it because I don't want to deal with it. So, and he was actually in the middle of splitting with my mother anyway. The sad part was it wasn't long after that that he left and didn't come back. Mm. I mean, he didn't disappear, but he didn't live with us anymore. And it's right. just me and my my mom at that point, I think. Oh man! So that's why he had a bias. He since he since lightened up because uh, he's had several GM cars since, and his current autocross car is a '96 Corvette. So. He finally saw the light later. But in the meantime, it turned me into a Mopar guy. Ah. And if you know what I'm saying, you know what I'm saying. Right. Not to anybody mad. But now the joke I tell people is I used to be a Mopar guy. Then I grew up. (laughs) (laughs) You can use that or edit it out. But I feel that way because I started working at a transmission shop when I was 16. And... uh, because my dad helped me buy another car I rode by on the bus every day, which was a 70 dart swinger. It turns out it not only to have some rust in it, but it had a knocking slant six. I know, right? They do go bad. Yeah. And, a, and, a, and, uh, and, you know, I needed an engine, but I only paid $200 for it. He helped me get the money and uh, brought that home. And I started working on that, trying to get it to, you know, better. And that, that led me to the transmission shop. And they helped me out. And I ended up, they helped me buy a different car. I never fixed the 70. I ended up junking that one, too, because they got me a nice 69 dark custom with a slant six in it that all it needed was, I think, to pass inspection. Maryland's got a pretty, pretty uh, rough inspection, but only when the car changes hands. But all it needed was a uh, turn signal switch because it wouldn't cancel on one side. That was common with little plastic piece brakes. And um, I don't know, a light bulb or something. It was nothing. The turn signal switch is a little more, you know, technical. You take the steering wheel off to put it on. Right. But other than that, and th- those guys helped me with it. Everything else was fine. Went through inspection, no problem. Didn't even have to fake it. <laughs> and uh, I had that car all the way through high school, and I gave it to my brother Jeff after I bent a lower control arm on a trip, and then I got it back from his widow when I got back from overseas. He had passed away, and he she she gave it back to me, and then I drove it until I it was completely rusted out, wore out, and I blew up the engine in it. Mm. But I had already finished college and and moved to uh, North Carolina before that happened. So what were you doing overseas? I was a missionary for the church I belonged to. Oh, okay. It was a good experience. I'm not as religious as I used to be, but it was a really good experience. Helped me learn a lot, made me grow up a lot. Right. Yeah. So, Was there any any hot riding adventures over there? uh, Other than um, gawking at Renault's all the time. (laughs) Because my dad had Renaults, Renaults, whatever. We say Renault. And it's funny because in Spain, they say it like it's spelled. So they say Renault too. And I actually, that was one of my other first cars was a, an R10 Renault. It was a four-speed on the floor, rear engine, little four-cylinder. 
it was it's one of those cars that's pretty slow it'll only go like 60 to 65 miles an hour downhill with a tailwind right. but you can have a riot of, of fun banging through the gears and all that stuff without even breaking the law right right it did have four-wheel disc brakes so it wasn't like it didn't stop it handled pretty good but um you know drive on the back roads fast stuff like that but so when I was over there, all I did a lot of was gawk at and try and take pictures of all the different, you know, models of Renault that I didn't even know existed until I went over there. Mm. So, other than, and I did get to see in person and hear a Renault uh, R5 Max Max Maxi Turbo or whatever they call it. It's the the mid engine, uh, like a Le Car, but it's a mid engine widened, made for rally racing car that. Oh, in the mid-80s. yeah, 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 yeah. And that's where the Subi got its bones from. Yeah, that car was amazingly fast for its time. Uh, basically, you can blame the Audi Quattro for making it obsolete because they were better. Oh. That, uh, at rally racing. But that car was, I saw one in person, got to hear it run. I was like, oh, wow, you know, that was probably the high point. But I also got to know things like all the little Fiats and stuff like that they had over there. And a lot of people over there, it's funny, everything's a stick. So you hear them, they all think they're, they're, they're um, you know, Formula One drivers pulling off the light and running through the gears. And then, of course, they have to slow right back down for the next light in the city. Right. So it's all kinds of fun hearing them run. But there were a lot of, like, all the older ones, all rear-engine little boxy cars. They were fun to, to watch and listen to. I didn't, I didn't drive. I was there. I just I did all walking and taking right. a bus or something. Right, right. But it was fun. And I saw some stuff I'd never seen before, like uh can't remember. I, I haven't found pictures of. It. I saw um, Alpines, which were little fiberglass-bodied versions of the Renaults that they made. Those for rally racing too. They were really lightweight and stuff. There was a, I saw a few of those while I was there, and some other stuff. So you, so, yeah, you. So you still had the car spirit in you. You just, you, yep. yeah, you. That, man, that's that does sound like it was a good experience to be over there, and and then it you was. were just. It, taking it all in and you were taking pictures and memorizing the different vehicles right and for our younger readers i had a film camera because there was no cell phones yet this was in the 80s <laughs> and i had taken a bunch of film with me most of it was black and white and i, I don't know if i i think i might have, i don't know if i bought much film when i was there or not because 35 millimeter i didn't have much money so i had to pack everything with me and carry it around so i didn't carry my camera every day we weren't allowed to because then we look like tourists so if I wanted to take pictures of something, I would have to figure it out. And then on our day off, we I could go do that. So taking pictures of something nowadays, people don't think twice. They whip their phone out, click, got a picture of it. Right. If I saw something, I want to take a, like a car I saw sitting on a, you know, on a street side street, an old car or something. I'd remember where that was, plan on my next day off and drag my partner or companion with me and go take a picture of it. So it was a big production just to get a picture of a car on the side street somewhere. Yeah. That was like an adventure, huh? Oh yeah. But it was fun. And, uh, there was even some stuff I saw there and I've learned about it since on the internet. Like I saw some 66 darts over there, but they had diesels in them. And I'm like, what is this? And it turns out that when Chrysler was done stamping out 66 darts, if you're, I don't know if you remember, a 66 dart looked like an older 60s car, and in the 67 and up were like the more boxy, what we're used to seeing. Yep. They sent, they must I think they sent the, the dies over to the affiliated factory in Spain or Europe, and they kept making them. 
So that car wasn't a 66 per se. It was newer, and they stamped out and they made more cars like that, but then they were putting diesels in them because, you know, diesels got better mileage. They had four-cylinder right. diesels rather than slant sixes in them. And they looked big compared to most of the cars over there, even though a 66 star isn't even as big as the later ones, it seems right. like. But they looked pretty big. And I even saw one time that somebody had a um, a short bed GMC square body. It looks huge compared to what you – because a lot of the – most of the European cars are kind of skinny and stuff because in town the roads are skinnier and everything. Right. Like the old. And then at one, one time, I think it was in Saragossa, there was a U.S. air base – near Saragossa, and the military guys would have their cars brought over, but then they wouldn't take them home. They would just sell them locally. So I saw a 59 uh, Chevy and out in front of this shop. It turns out the shop specialized in American cars because of that. So it's really neat to see a 59 Chevy parked in Spain right. in the 80s because it's, you know, it's like something you would never see. And you don't even, heck, you didn't see 59 Chevys in America in the 80s much. Right. You're right. Not really. No, you know, it's weird. But when I was in high school in the 80s, you didn't see Finn cars anymore. If they were anywhere, they were probably parked somewhere because no one was driving them anywhere nope. around where I was. Not not here in Missouri either. The only time we see them would be at the yearly nostalgia run or the car show. Yeah. You know, you just didn't have like even when kids start driving, they they would have their parents hand me down modern car it wouldn't be one of the old cars every there was one person and that's because their family owned the um upholstery shop uh, had a chevelle had a 69 chevelle and all the kids i can remember because not many of them knew what it was right you know they didn't care about hot rodding and stuff because I'm similar to you. Like my dad, he was all into the hot rods. We did the shows, the drag racing and all that cool shit. So we were we were in tune with the old school cars. But these other kids, you know, they could give two shits. And they were like, man, that car's ugly. Like, why would he want to drive that big old car? You know? Yeah. And, you know, the other kids, the hand-me-down cars that the other kids would get would have been like, um, you know, they had... What was that little Ford Escort and mm -hmm. like the Rabbit? A couple Renaults. Uh, yeah. Some people would get handed down to them, and I was just like, "What the fuck? What is wrong with you? That car's badass, you know." But nobody really cared. It was all about the. It, later on, there was, you know, the Mustang, like the eighty four, eighty five, eighty six Mustang. Now here we are, ninety one. You know, kids are starting to drive. So everybody had their parents' 84 Mustang, and they thought they were cool and shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but nah. The other guy had that, that damn Chevelle. I was like, he's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? I still remember I, I remember what cars were in the neighborhood because I delivered newspapers on my bicycle before I got my license Oh. and stopped, and stopped delivering newspapers. It was only once a week, but I remember where all the old cars were in the little neighborhood and who had them. There was one house that had an old Packard in the front yard. I mean, in the front yard on the grass. <laughs> he had two of them. He had a Nash, and it was old enough that it had the, the pontoon-style fenders, like 40s, whatever. And the fenders, rear fenders were missing. And, the, and somebody said to me, oh, yeah, he can't find new rear fenders anywhere. 
that's why and the old ones were something wrong with them. Maybe maybe he took them off to have them fixed and never got them back or whatever. But for years, I remember that car sitting there. It ran and drove. It had no rear fenders. It was weird. Really? And he had a couple other cars up in the garage. I didn't even know what they were, but those were the ones you saw outside. <laughs> and then the kids, one of the older kids had a 68 Charger. It was light, like a pale yellow. And then another kid got a 70 or one or two Chevelle because it had single headlights. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you know, what they, you know what he had to do in the 80s? He got hijackers, jacked that sucker up, got some Prager reverse yeah. wheels and put L60s on the back. Yeah, and they were sticking out past the fenders and shit. Yep. <laughs> he still had the factory hubcaps on the front tires. Really? That was a typical thing. It's like, and then... And even before that, when I was, before I even started a paper route, when I was in elementary school, my best friend in elementary school was a year older than me. He lived down the street. His dad had an early Econoline van. It was bright yellow on the outside, had shag carpet and paneling on the inside, and had Craigers, like reverse in the back, and maybe, I'm not sure about the front, with wide tires on. And these were like bias fly tires, too, so it's old school, right? Because right. this would have been before 1980. Um and it was badass. And then he had his his wife, that would be my friend Steve's mother, drove a blues a blue Nova. I don't know what year it was, but it was seventy two and back. Now I know it wasn't seventy three and up. You know what I mean? Right, right. And it had like ETs on the back. It was jacked up some at ETs and wide t- white layer tires in the back. And on the front, it had baby. I think it had baby moons and trim rings. <laughs> and then the car they didn't even drive was a. A Ford wagon, I don't know what year, and it had reverse like Craigers on the back with wide tires and factory tires on the you know size tires on the front, and it had, I remember it was like a, like maybe dark green with wood grain, and it was parked next to their garage. <laughs> See, isn't that weird how the car kid, the kid with the car, I you know that's where some of this comes from, and then right. I go look at magazines or the car- cartoons, I'm like, yeah, I remember people having cars like that. Yeah, 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 because so, that was a thing, like. You know, you would see, I know later on, you know, when kids decide to start hot riding and stuff and kind of getting into the older style cars, you know, it was always, everybody wanted a Nova, you know, and um, they would do it, you know, jack up the back, put the little Craigers on there. And then some of them, I know a couple of guys had put the lake pipes on the side, you know, and I'm yeah. like, man, you know, because drag racing was, it was the thing out here like you know the whole the whole thing because we had a drag track that was uh you know illegal an actual drag track and uh that was when the kids got older uh their parents their fathers had already been hot rodding it was just that they wasn't into it at that point and then finally they just caught the bug to be wanting to be like fuck that i want a hot rod you know and start doing the hot rod thing and that'd be the first thing they do is jack the damn things up camaros you know 78 camaros and jack them up put the big old tires on the back and you know get the their dad to put a cam or something in it to make it sound like it had something in it you know (laughs) yeah oh yeah 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 that was the the good days of it man the good days of it oh yeah and uh, I lived in Bowie, Maryland, and next door is Crofton, Maryland, where Capital Raceway is. Okay. But I never got there as a teenager because the guys at the transmission shop used to race circle track and made fun of drag racing. Oh. And my father loved Formula One and road racing and autocrossing, so I didn't get any encouragement from home or 
at the transmission shop, which they basically took over helping raise me the rest of the way anyway, because my dad left. And uh, so I didn't go over there. They kind of discouraged it. Ah, you don't want to mess around with that stuff. Right. So I never went over and raced anything on the drag strip till much later, much, much later. So when so, you, you was at the transmission shop, so you say you you left out of there. Now, what all, you learned the transmission? You learned building transmissions and stuff? Oh, yeah. Well, the way I got started was I bought that 70 Dart that needed an engine, and then I was doing a little research, which back then was reading some magazines and stuff, and the early 273s were supposed to be really good. You know, little small-block Chrysler V8, or, you know, Dodge Plymouth implement Chryslers. So... I found in the paper a 65 Dart four-door that ran with a V8 in it for like 65 bucks. I think he must have just said, oh, a dollar for the year. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I, mean, I don't think I, I didn't have my license yet. So I, I had some money. So I went and my neighbor that was older than me had a car and I conned him into letting me, driving me down to South County, down to to look at this car and then i conned the guy i gave the guy money he goes yeah i'll drive it up you can get me back and so i he drove the car up parked at my in the driveway and this was the ugliest most beat looking car it ran and drove now the transmission was messed up because it wouldn't start off and drive you had to put it in low and then shift through the gears oh, okay and the freaking the shifter handle was missing it was a column shift but the shifter handle falling off so you had to grab the collar and just turn it with the nub oh <laughs> <laughs> the quarter panels the quarter panels were already see-through and then he tried to like i don't know what he used like 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 window screen and who knows what and you could see the window screen through the whatever filler he was trying to use on it and then it was painted it was all like chalky blue i don't know if he painted it with house paint looking back on it probably <laughs> this thing was ugly but it ran and drove and to top it off my parents were like you're not getting any more cars, but they were both gone for the weekend. So I pulled this off over a weekend from Friday to Monday. I got that car there, stripped it out. I threw the dead slant six in the trunk and other stuff from the, uh, from the 70 dart and then called the junk man up. He came and looked at it and said, this has got to be the worst car I've ever looking car I've ever towed, but he towed it out of there. And then I had my V8 and this is where it started. The first thing is the slant six is a completely different bell housing pattern than a V8. So that, that transmission is not going to work at all. Well, I don't know if you remember, Mopar's up through 64 had push button shifters I've, that used a cable. I know I knew about the push button shifters. I'm not very familiar with the whole Dodge side of things I had, right. but still, yeah, go ahead. So it's not, it's not too bad, but so they used a cable for the shifter shifter cable went right into the transmission inside is where it connected mm -hmm. for 65 they still used that same transmission with the shifter cable but they made a, a linkage setup for a, a regular column shift rather than a push button shifter and it even had a second cable for park mm -hmm. and another thing about it was it had a weird bolt-on rear um yoke and then the front of the drive shaft had a companion flange, and it had this thing called a ball and trunnion joint rather than a standard U-joint. So the drive shaft was different. Mm. And then, um, but the transmission should bolt. Uh, so that's what came out of the 65. So if I put that in my 70, I wouldn't start off and drive. The shifter wouldn't hook up, and the drive shaft might not work because I don't know. I didn't know if it's the same length or not or whatever. I didn't know. 
So I'm like, oh, I need a transmission. So then I find in the paper uh, a transmission for sale for a small block Mopar. So I go buy it, and, I, and it was just, these are not, called 904s, whatever, they're smaller units. So I bought that and brought it back. Well, come to find out, up through 66, the pilot in the back of the crankshaft of the early engines was smaller than the later one. So the torque converter from the the, the torque converter from the new transmission wouldn't fit. So I well, use the old torque converter. Well, the spline count's different and the shaft's different on the input shaft to the old transmission to the later transmission too. So the torque converters wouldn't swap either. So like, what am I going to do now? So I got a motor's manual out. I can't remember if I bought one or my dad had one or if I, I couldn't take it out of the library. And I started reading about how to take these apart because what I was going to do was take the parts out of the front of the old transmission and put them into the newer transmission so that the torque converter would work. Mm. So I took apart the transmission and I still had issues. So I put some parts in my backpack and rode my bicycle the two and a half miles or so it was down to the, the closest transmission shop, which turns out was Bowie Transmission in Old Bowie, downtown Old Bowie, not really as much there. And I walked in the door going, this is what I got. And here's some of the parts. Can I do this? And they looked at me like, dang, no, you can't do that. But we can help you. and We can buy a converter that will have the small pilot for your engine and fit the later transmission. So just bring the whole later transmission down. We'll help you with it. And then you'll be all right. I was like, oh, great. Now, it turns out these guys had helped other neighborhood kids before and taught them transmissions and stuff. So I'm not the first kid. I'm like, I was like one of the last kids, actually. So I brought all the stuff down there. I helped them. Obviously, I still didn't know what I was doing, although I'd seen the inside of a transmission. I, was, I wasn't too uh, queasy to take one apart and try and figure it out because my dad was teaching me that sort of things from before. I remember seeing him with the TV all in pieces, the washing machine all in pieces, you know, stuff like that, cars <laughs> all in parts. So... I get the, they helped me build the transmission. They ended up selling it to somebody and putting it in a 76 Coronet. It was green. That's all I remember. And like I said, I ended up junking the 273 and junking the the 70 Dart because they basically were like, look, man, we can help you find a better car. And it was one of their friend's fathers had passed away. They hooked me up with with his father's old car, which really wasn't that old. It was only a year uh, younger than me. <laughs> so it's like 15 year old car. So nowadays that'd be like coming up with a, a what a, a 2006 whatever. Right. You know. So, but of course back then a 69 Dart already looked dated. Right. Right. So, so after that, I I would I I said, well, can I come come just come help? And they're like, sure. So I went and swept the floor and emptied the oil buckets um, from the you know they had they had benches with drains because you flip a transmission over to drain all the fluid out and they'd, they'd catch it in a five gallon bucket and i'd go dump that in the oil bucket oil tank used oil tank and it was only they were open till 6 p.m i got out of school at 4 30 or i could get there about 4 30 so it's only like an hour and a half a day but i just kept showing up and i wasn't getting paid or nothing i was just happy to be there something to do i love i was so car crazy i just wanted to learn about it right and um after a while um they said well Hey, they threw a transmission on the bench. So just take that apart. Oh, sure. Great. And I'd have questions. They'd they'd show me how to use some of the tools you needed to use to take them apart. So after a while, I said, can I get paid? It'd been like a couple months. They're like, sure. How much money do you want? And I was like, oh. And I thought to myself, well, I already knew that because I'd already worked a summer job. 
I knew that minimum wage was three thirty-five an hour. And I was like, how about five dollars an hour? Sure, no problem. So I'm making five dollars an hour working for an hour and a half a day after school. I even arranged for the school bus to drop me off there instead of at home. And my parents signed off on it so they could do that because the bus rode right by there. So they had to stop and let me off. And I just get right off the bus and go right in there and go to work. <laughs> so for the rest of that fall, that was in the fall, all the way through the next spring, I would tear apart a Turbo 350 every day. Just tear it apart, clean it up. We, only, we didn't have a parts washer yet, so it was all hand-washing parts. Right. That's all I did was tear it apart, clean it up, tear it apart, and just set the parts. He said, don't worry about keeping them in order. Just tear them, you know, just clean up the parts and put them on over there on the other bench. So come summertime when school let out, I showed up early, you know, normal time in the morning opening. They're like, okay, tear down the transmission, clean all the parts up, lay them all out, and tell me where they all go. I said, I can do that. And I did. I, I picked up a part. I told them where it went in the transmission. They said, good. Now we're going to teach you how to put them together. And I was like, oh, great. So they taught me the techniques of how to put the clutch pistons in without tearing the uh, lip seals and how to you know, use the tools to put things together and so forth and so on. And they would take me on road tests sometime and show me how things were messing up, you know, when a car was, wasn't working right. And they'd take me on road tests and they wouldn't tell me what was wrong, but then they'd give me the transmission and say, tear it apart and find and tell me what was wrong with it. And I could do that after a while, you know, because I was learning. And so they just kept teaching me like this. And by the time I was done with high school, I could overhaul basic transmissions, which that's all we had then was, you know, regular three-speed automatics and stuff. All right. It was great. And today, I, this couldn't happen again today because back then there was only like maybe eight different transmissions they ever built and they could keep them in stock because they fit everything. Right. Nowadays, it's all weird electronic stuff. Everything's different. And, and I mean, of course, in 1984, we weren't even working on Honda's, Toyota's, or Nissan. Well, we called Datsun's then. Right, Datsun. All we had was, you know, the big three and AMC, which is pretty much the same difference because they used one or the other. The transmissions are basically the same. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know how kids learn today or would learn today like I learned because they could, like I said, they, they had, they had a, a shelf in one of the, you know, areas that had brand new rebuilt transmissions on them. They painted them all gold, a couple of reasons. But anyway, so they had all these transmissions lined up. And, you know, you came in with your, I don't know, G-Body um, or your, you know, 77 LTD or whatever, and they could have you out, like, by the next day, if not the same day, because they have the transmission in stock. You have to change a few parts over from the old one to the new one, put it back in, and everything's good. Yeah. It was that quick. You could you could do a job because you'd have the transmission ready to go just about. So why why did they paint them gold? Um, there was two reasons. One was when they were starting to do transmissions. These two guys, unless there was a third guy, but anyway, um, they, they were doing work for car lots, and the, one of the car lots says, "Man, you got to do something. Paint them or something so they look really good." So when I open the hood and somebody looks down there, they look underneath it. It's it's shiny new transmission. They can tell it's got a good transmission in it, and I can sell. That's a selling point. Says so okay, so they go to the hardware store or whatever, and they found this gold paint was really cheap at the time. And then the side benefit was if you paint them gold, and then it does spring a leak, it's easier to find. The red fluid shows up on it a lot better, mm -hmm. and when it washes the paint off, it's not. You know, it's not the same color underneath. Like a lot of people would paint them silver or aluminum color, right. but then you can't see the leaks like you can when the the you know when a gasket leaks or something, and it runs the, the gold off, and you can see right where the leak came from. Mm -hmm. 
So that was a side benefit of painting them. Plus the gold dries quick. You know, some colors seems like they don't even ever want to dry where gold, the gold that they were getting would dry pretty quick. Silver takes silver or aluminum. That paint, it takes forever for that shit to dry. Right. The gold seems to dry pretty fast. It's at least the, the stuff we were buying at the time, and it's pretty cheap. So that was why they were painting them gold, and that turned out to be one of their um, one of the calling cards. The other biggest competitor competitor shop, independent shop, was Glen Burnie Transmissions, and they painted theirs gray. Mm. So you could tell the difference right away. Right. And then uh, Amico used to paint theirs blue. Of course, now uh, I think both of those just use. Um, Crate, crate transmissions from some rebuilder. I, I know Glenn Burney uses, I think they're certified transmissions. <coughs> they just come in a crate. They don't even have builders anymore there. Right. Yeah. It's all been the whole technique of, of everything is, has been lost and is every day it's, it's fading. Yep. It's the same. It's a shame, really. Yeah. I worked my way through high school, worked my way through college with the two years off in the middle. I came, they hired me back there part time when I finished my undergraduate. Then I stayed where I was in northern New York where I went to school and worked at a dealership and a couple other shops before I ran out of work. And then I moved to North Carolina and worked down there for three years, starting at a transmission shop and then some regular repair shops. And then they hired me back to Bowie Transmission in 1998. And then I worked there for another nine years. Oh, okay. So pretty long history with them and then i finally left them for various reasons and then worked in another shop for about three months and then there was a gap where i was just i worked part-time for a guy and his little shop but he didn't have enough work for both of us and my wife was working supporting us but i finally got the job i got now and that's been good ever since good. so good. yeah and then you started collecting again <laughs> right and then then i started collecting and see i would i would get a really good car and then i'd end up poor and have to sell it right and that's a shame because uh, i had i just found pictures and i was looking for something else i had a 66 buick skyhawk convertible for a little while that was really good I ended up selling that and it didn't get enough money i mean i only get, got 3500 for it, and nowadays i'd probably get 10 grand for the exact same car in the exact same condition right but back then, nobody wanted a Buick. They all wanted Chevys. Mm-hmm. And even though it was just like a Chevelle, it wasn't a Chevelle. Right. And this was even a sportier one. It had bucket seats and a console and a floor shift. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a stolen and recovered because I got it from the uh, U-Picket place. It wasn't in the lot. If they got something really good in off the auction, they would leave it out front. Mm. And then you could buy the whole thing. But it would come with like a salvage title, and you'd have to take it over to the... Uh, the MVA special um, inspector to make sure it wasn't cobbled together from three different cars and nothing was stolen off of it and all that stuff. They go find those secret numbers that are stamped into the fen- into the frame in different places right. and verify that it's not you know hokey. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was fine, and I got a good title for it. And then I ended up selling it to a guy in Ohio. Okay. Didn't even get to drive it except for to going over to get the the paperwork straight. Oh man. I know, it sucked. That's yeah. what, that was part of the reason why I ended up eventually leaving the shop because I wasn't managing my money well enough to keep working there because I was paying my own taxes and stuff and I didn't do a good job of it. Uh, yeah, that's, so. man, if, I mean, and that's something else. Like if you, if you don't know that stuff and the, the you know, the IRS, they don't want to hear that shit about you didn't know any better. 
Right. They don't care. And it's like, but I didn't know. And they're like, well, you still owe us X amount, you know? So, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, I could, I could see how that would be a problem. And then, yeah. oh, man. But so you're in the better days now, though. Yeah, I'm doing a lot better now. And uh, so now I've got too many cars again. And I got, I, I've always had goofy projects that that uh, are off the, the, the normal thing. That's what the S10 Rat was going to be. <laughs> um, and I've got a weirdo car before that that, that I've got built. And again, I got, I got bored with it. I took it apart and used it for parts. And then I, then I sold what was left of it, which is kind of, you know, looking back on it, it's like, I, I see why I did it. Now sometimes I wish I hadn't, but in the long run, it was fine. Yeah, heck yeah, because you got, hell, you got 11 cars to, to tinker with. And then, so how did, tell me about when you got into, uh, I'm excited for my shirt to get here too, by the way. So what made you even get into making the shirt? What happened? The shirt? Yeah. Okay, well, on Power Tour, I think the first one, 2017, and actually I was in the same place at the same time before that, but we didn't meet. I met, uh, they're, they're Chris and Leela Hosner. They're um, Chris Hosner's Vibrolas. They have a band, but he also has American screen printing. He's a great artist. He can build guitars and fix guitars. He can do all kinds of stuff. And we went out to see his band play, I think it was 2017. 2017 or 18? Might have been 2018. And he had, he had his Vista Cruiser all apart. And he's changed doing the engine on it and stuff. And he's the transmission he'd work is a 204 already. He'd already swapped into it. And he's talking about overhauling himself. And I could tell by what this was early in the spring, like late winter, early spring, like maybe March. Um, and power tours in June, I was like, dude, you're, you're not going to make it. Why don't I take the transmission, overhaul it for you and bring it back to you. And then that'll be no problem. And part of the, we way we did the deal was is he did the, the graphics for the shirt, which is awesome. He wanted to do it anyway. So that was awesome. So he was able to do that for me and uh and that's why I got the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you do stuff for people and they do stuff for you and it works out really good sometimes. Right. All and right. uh I'm gonna do another order pretty soon. Your shirt's on the way. I mailed it today. Hey, that's cool. And so it, it, that's just one more thing that that's kind of cool. And the funny part is, is the the car didn't start off like it is. It's multiple colors. Right. We got it. It was actually really pretty nice. It had been repainted the burgundy with the little with the black below the the bottom um, trim level, but it, originally it was white with the kitchen cabinet sides on it. Mm-hmm. And whoever had it before us re- had it repainted probably because the kitchen cabinet stuff was, was faded out because that's what happens. And it was doing fine. It was a V6 automatic air conditioning, blue cold. It needed a couple things when we got it, fixed those, no problem, little, little things that are running good and everything. And we took it on a couple trips. It used a lot of oil, but yeah, so what? Just keep putting it in. Right. (laughs) And then the brakes got a little flaky. I knew it was the master cylinder, and I was putting off fixing it. And at that time, um, I was sharing a shop with my buddy, but 
he's up in PA, I'm in Maryland. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I'm going to have to drive it up there and I have to do this and do that. So I had other cars. So I parked at this aisle like a spare. And we had bought, after, right after we got that car, a little while, my, my boss at the shop said, man, why do you keep buying these old crappy cars? Let me fix you up with a good one. And his one of his best friend's wife's car they bought brand new was a 94 Chrysler New Yorker. No, no, not New Yorker, the Concorde, same thing. It's that, that forward, cab, cab forward, you know, Chrysler thing, mm-hmm. four-door, really nice car. And this would have, the car wasn't that old then. This was in 2002 or three. So the car would have been only, it was a 94, so it wasn't even 10 years old. And um, the, with the buy the mileage on it, I knew it was going to need timing belts pretty soon. But I got that. My wife was driving it back and forth to work. And we lived in Annapolis. I worked in Bowie. It's like 25 miles apart. So she calls me up. And you know, she's she married to a car guy. Hey, the timing belt broke on the Chrysler. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. I was going to change it, but I was a little bit intimidated at the time. I hadn't really gotten into you know that much of that. And I was like, oh, man, I got to do that sometime. Well, it's a non-interference engine, so it didn't break nothing else. Good. So I called our tow man. His name's John Boy. He said, hey, John Boy, can you go get the Chrysler? I told him where it was. And I talked to my wife on the phone. I say, hey, drive the wagon. If the brakes feel funny, just pump them. She's like, okay. John Boy is unloading the Chrysler at the shop in Bowie. She calls me on the phone again. Hey, the brakes went out on your wagon. I hit a Honda with it. I said, damn. Say, can you just get home? I'm running out of cars. <laughs> so what happened was the hot, she was following this Honda, not too close, and the light turned yellow. She's only going like 35 miles an hour or something. And the Honda sped up like they're going to run the light, and then they changed their mind and jammed on the brakes. Well, when they sped up, my wife started braking. So when they stabbed the brakes, she stabbed the brakes, and that's when it went to the floor, and she had to swerve, but she still hit the Honda. Mm. It had crunched the hood, the header panel, and the passenger fender. And it turns out it was an 81 Pontiac that's one-year-only stuff. And I couldn't find any parts. It sat for like six or eight months before my same guy, Pete, towed in an 85 Bonneville that the parts would work. In the meantime, I had tried Oldsmobile parts that don't fit. The back doors were totally different. Nothing worked. So... And the, 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 I mean, the body lines aren't even the same. So I gave all them parts back to the other tow guy. And then I finally got the 85 Bonneville stuff. And the cool part was, is I went up there and I borrowed, he had a, at the time, a Dodge Rampage. Remember what one of those is? Yep. And we took the whole front clip off of the, of the Bonneville in one piece. It'll come off hood. Everything comes off in one piece, core support, the whole nine yards, strapped it to the back of this rampage it's wider than the rampage with it facing forward so I have these headlights hanging out the sides of this rampage they got pictures somewhere and we drive i drove it all the way down to maryland dropped that off at the house then i took the rampage down to southern maryland picked up a oldsmobile engine and transmission it's supposed to be a small block it was supposed to be a 330 what well, it was a late 350 but whatever and then drove all the way back to pa and you know put that at the shop and then Pete sold that rampage to a kid. It was tired. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't great, but it worked. And the kid blew it up the same day. <laughs> blew it up. I mean, how does, you know, but that guy blew, blew everything up he sat in. But anyway, I was like, how did Gary break that? And he goes, I don't know. It was fine. I said, I just used it. And he goes, I know you drove all the way this way and it didn't hurt it at all. And this guy takes it and breaks it. It's like, wow. 
<laughs> so yeah, so and so my son at that time was in high school, and I was slowly picking parts off the, the wagon to get it ready, and then he had some friends over, like to play video games or something. He had like three friends over. I said, "Ooh, this is the opportunity. I wish I had filmed it." So I got the car ready, and I said, "Hey, come out here, kids!" And got the three kids to help me, and we stuck the front clip on there in one piece. Yeah. Well, we, what I did was I jacked the car up, took the front wheels off, put on little jack stands. And I took the radiator and the condenser and bungee quartered them or tie strapped them or um, ratchet strapped them to the engine. I, I might have took the fan off to give it some room. Didn't even break the cooler, coolant lines, nothing. And took the put the whole front clip on there, put everything back. The air conditioning still worked. Everything still didn't even lose any fluid. Holy that was shit. fun. Yeah. So <laughs> that's how come it's two different colors, nine different colors. Hey. It got wrecked once. I fixed it. I'm not a body and paint guy, and it was just running at the time, and I drove it for a few years more with a six in it before I hot-rodded it. So how far did you go in the power tour? Like, um, I, I, When I decided to hot-rod that car, uh, I had a 455 Olds that I got from another friend of mine who got it from his cousin. And I was talking to him about not being able to make the Mopar or make the Oldsmobile Nationals they used to have at Norwalk. He goes, man, I got an engine for you. Come and get it. So I literally drove the wagon over to his house, and we shoved the 455 complete in the back of that wagon, and I drove that back up to PA. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, eventually, I moved, I brought that engine back down, and the guy I was working at let me use his shop in the spring of 2009. And I, I, in one week, I took the 6 out, put the V8 in, and everything else, got the exhaust hooked up and everything. And then the next month, I took it on part of Power Tour. My mom had come to visit, so she rode back with me. She lived in Chicagoland at the time, and I picked up the middle of Power Tour and did the rest of the 2009 Power Tour in the wagon and even made a couple passes at Bristol, which was the last stop that year. <laughs> so that was a partial Power Tour, and then I didn't do Power Tour again until 2017, and I did the whole thing. I did the long haul of 2017, 2018, and 2019 in it. Mm, mm, mm. So three years in a row, the hat trick. Yeah, you you be rolling in that thing, man. Yeah, in the meantime, I missed 2016s because the body was falling off the frame. <laughs> All the body mounts were blown out. And it was doing weird stuff. I had wide tires on it, and I'd go around a corner, and it would rub. And I'm like... But it felt like the body was tilting in a weird place. You know what I'm trying to say? Right, right. Like up high. Like what, what? what's going on here? And I'm looking at it. And then finally I, I put it on the lift and looked. And I mean, I had nothing left. There was where the where the nut plates were supposed to be in the body. It was all busted out in a couple spots. <laughs> the frame was punched out in a couple spots. Some of the bolts had rusted off and fallen off or were gone. I mean, just little stubs were sticking out. Right. Like, Half the apple core and the dog. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, they look like the hourglass and shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it took me all summer of 2016. I had separated the body from the chassis. It took me all summer of figuring out how to make little pieces to weld it back together and everything and fix it. Mm-hmm. And then I took, of course, the engine out of the chassis and, and put main bearings in it and stuff like that, too. But it took a while. It was... It was a lot of work, but it was worth it because now the car is good for for longer. Right. Um, and it did Drag Week in 2019 also. I said Power Tour and Drag Week the same year, and then I did Drag Week this year. And now that the thing's been 
it's been if you if of course it's been on the drag week live feed it was in a promotional video of power tour making a pass at norwalk it's been in the background of roadkill episodes right it's it's been all over the place and i'm like well if i paint it it won't be the same car anymore right so the doors are all crap, but I got a better set of doors off a parts card recently. So they need some work. So do I just paint them gold and put them back on the same? <laughs> <laughs> and just keep it like it is because nobody will recognize it if I change it. Right. Right. So I'm kind of at that point now where it's kind of become the signature, even though, you know, I probably should get the license plate that says S10 Rat, even though it's not the S10 Rat that never got finished. Right, right, right. And that's fine, man. That's, I mean, but it's a fun, it's, it's a fun journey getting to that point. You know what I mean? So, heck yeah, man. I'll never forget. Like this was maybe, well, two seasons ago when I was putting together zero in the damn, uh, my transmission, not transmission, but the drive shaft. Remember the issue with the drive shaft with the splines not lining up and I had to call and I was, I just came on the thing. I was like, man. Fucking dry shaft, you know, and I was just going going on to tell the story about it. And he was like, yeah. Bro, fuck that. I'll go to the shop tomorrow and I'll let you know. And then you did. You went and he's like, Nah, man, I don't have one. Because remember, you was gonna send me a whole damn dry shaft. And you were making a deadline too, weren't you? Yeah, I was trying to, yeah. So yeah. Yep. Trying to. That's the thing. That's I don't like to build stuff with a deadline, and that's why, because something always happens. Oh, always. Always. And uh Yep, and that's what, oh yeah, well, this last drag week was, I mean, my co-driver my co -driver or, or, or crew member, crew chief, whatever, John, I picked him up from the airport at like eight thirty nine o'clock at night, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I apologize, but we got to go to my shop and finish the car before we can go home. Uh. <laughs> Drove straight up to the shop and, uh, and had to finish up a few things. We didn't get back to my house till like four in the morning. Oh, but then the next day we were just going to drive to Michigan, so we didn't have to leave it real early. So we got about four hours of sleep, got up and got everything in the car, packed it all up, made sure everything was good. Right. Over there. It was like, it was like one of these, I mean, if there were cameras following me around all week, it would have, it would have been kind of like one of these reality shows where you're like, they give you the, the assignment, you have to do this and then you have to drive the car, you know. 1200 miles to the event and they're like okay and you know you try to get all stuff done and not have it leak and break down and all that stuff well i passed the test but it wasn't any faster than it was before <laughs> because i didn't have enough i didn't have all the right parts i had enough parts to put it back together but mostly the old parts that i had to use over not the the, the better stuff that i was supposed to be using all right but hey you know it's it, it happens and and i didn't know i just you know it's funny how like people, my wife always goes, you, you remember all this stuff about cars and can't remember what we're supposed to do last, you're supposed to do tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, well, stuff sticks in my head and other stuff doesn't, but I thought I had the right parts, but I didn't know better and I didn't. Right. And you learn a little bit of something every day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Don't, there's not anyone that knows everything, you know? Yep, that's right. I avoid using Amazon. I found a local company that sells parts. Mm-hmm. And even though they're more money, I don't care because th that's the whole thing I think of when everybody's like, oh, let's get it off Amazon. And I have to wait another three days to get it. 
But one day, nobody buys stuff from the local guy. They'll go out of business, and then you'll have to wait three days. Yep. Or pay $50 to get it the next day. Right, or pay a million bucks. The only people getting rich are FedEx, UPS, whoever you use. But overnight, yeah, you know, even Amazon probably charges extra for overnight. Oh, yeah, man. And Amazon got smart. They're like, man, we're going to cut the middleman out. We're going to have our own delivery trucks. Oh, yeah. Um, Amazon's got a huge facility in the town I live in. And, you know, the shame of it all is the, the, the original facility, that the land they built it on used to be a GM factory. Oh. But I'm pretty sure my wagon rolled out of that factory. Huh. 81. And they, they built all the Astro vans that you ever will, will see were all built at, in Baltimore at that plant. All right. So when they stopped making Astro vans, they closed the plant, raised the, the buildings, and then Amazon ended up with it, and they built their first facility there. And then over on the other side, where the steel mill was, they're building Amazon over there now, too. Oh, yeah. Well, they got one. A big, a big warehouse, or whatever you call it, shipping center over there, too. Yeah. We got one of those. It's, it's probably, I don't know, 25 miles from me, and it's huge. And the sad yeah. thing about it is now, you order shit from Amazon, now we got to pay taxes. Yeah. Because they have a facility yeah. within our state. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, they basically got it figured out, so you're going to pay sales tax everywhere. Yeah, man, it used to be that would be the thing. You'd order something off of eBay or order because then you don't have to pay the taxes, right? Right. Shit, now they got it. Like you said, they got a plant in every state almost, and you're not getting away from that. That's it. You remember the, the Sears wish book? Yep. Yep, we were talking about somebody. Even somebody was talking about it the other day that big thing. I I figured I had to flop that sucker right on open to the toy section. Yeah, oh, you know it. Never, it was like right towards the center back. <laughs> yep, we drooled over Hot Wheels track and yeah, and model rockets and all kinds of stuff. Oh man, look at this stuff I want. Yep, it, you know what? We my grandpa we get those big catalogs, and so he'd always have the one from the year before, and then we take that one. You know. Because on the picture, always on the front, it either had a Christmas tree or it had Santa sitting there with the kid on his yep. lap or some shit. But we would take the catalog from the year previous and we would cut the pictures of the toys out, you know, like G.I. Joe and the, the all the shit. And we'd sit them up there in the windowsill and just look at it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then you could use the rest of the book to prop up the littlest kids so they could eat their dirt. Yeah. Yeah, they done that. We used to do that with the. They actually do that with the uh, Southwestern Bell phone book, the yellow oh, yeah. pages and shit. Then that thing was thick. Yeah, it was. Uh, we had a different one, but it's the same thing. Yeah, right. And, and our phone book covered all of D.C., Northern Virginia, and the part of Maryland we were at. Whoa. Because that, back then you could call without dialing the area code. You just called any of those numbers and it would work because right. you know, they're, they're so close. I mean, the old tires, you know, DC isn't that big anyway. I still remember that now, now you have to use 10 digits all the time. doesn't matter who you're calling. You yep. call your neighbor, it's still all 10 digits. Yeah. 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 Yep. But um, they have the, the wish book, man, no sales tax. That was one of the things I will order from Sears. Wants to pay sales tax. Right. Yep. That's what brought that up. Not anymore. Not yeah. anymore. Yeah, we got many a winter coats and all kinds of shit out of this year's catalog. Yeah. Oh, man. Yep. And then the two or three year old one, we probably used it in the basement to soak up water that got in there. Yeah. <laughs> and then we throw it out after it was waterlogged. Yeah. 
I said, I don't know what people do nowadays. We used to get the Washington Post every day and then the paper I delivered once a week. And we had stacks and stacks of newspapers, but it didn't last long because every time it rained real hard water get in our basement, we just throw a newspaper down to soak it up and then scrape that up and throw it in the garbage. Right. Right. Today, what do people do now? I don't know. I mean, there's no newspapers. What do they do? Well, they probably either they don't do anything or they, you know, dig a trench and put a sump pump in. Right, something maybe a shop back or something. Right, shop back. Probably that's that's probably the cheapest thing. You get a shop back and just suck it up and then dump it. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's the good old days, I guess. Yeah, but hey, we made it. <laughs> hey, we made it with no helmets. Yep. <laughs> we made it with no airbags in the car. Yep. No seatbelt, basically. Like the seatbelts were there, but we never wore them. Yeah, my dad made us wear them all the time. It's funny, too, because he'd be like, everybody put your seatbelts on. And as we're driving down the driveway and out of the street, he's putting his seatbelt on last, like, as he's moving. Right. <laughs> we're looking at him like, why don't you put it on first? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. But then again, he'd have, but we had that station wagon, right? And the, the satellite was a bigger wagon. And we would pack up for a trip because my parents were from Massachusetts. So we'd go back up there to grandparents and stuff. And he would make it so that there would be, we call it the way back, the space right behind the second seat, because he didn't have a third row seat anyway. Mm. He'd make it wide enough, we'd put a blanket in there, and we'd take turns who could lie down in the back there, like to take a nap or something. Right. And then you think if he ran into the back of a truck, all our shit would have crushed the kid there. Yep. We all would have slid forward and smashed him against the back of the back seat there. <laughs> so everybody else has their seatbelt on, this kid in the back is like, he's got like his... He's like holding a grenade with the pin out. Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Hell> yeah, man. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Uh, at yeah. least dad they never ran into anything so we were fine <laughs> we made it uh, uh, it's funny cause you're true man <laughs> <laughs> man we would pack up Christmas and take it with us cause we're gonna have Christmas at the grandparents not only did it just be our suitcases and stuff there'd be all the Christmas presents and everything be jammed in the back of that car mm. he'd have it so there was one little teeny corner where if he looked over his shoulder he could see out the back that right, over, right. <laughs> move over from the middle lane to the right lane. You can see. Mm, mm, yeah, mm. he was a master packer. I guess I learned from him because, and my son learned from me. We can Tetris a whole bunch of stuff into a vehicle. You're like, how'd you get it all in there? I don't know. It just fits. Right, right. Yeah. And, and that's one reason why I got. I don't have. I've, I've had tons of cars, but not that many wagons. But they're very useful machines. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh man. If I take my truck down here, I can get this much for it. I'm like, yeah, that's cool, man. But how are you going to replace it? Because a new truck is going to cost you sixty three. You yeah. know, it's like, why, why? So what? They're going to give you over blue book for what your truck is, but now you got to replace that son of a bitch, and right. you're not going to be able to. And like the new Broncos, way up there, man. Mm. It's like sixty two grand and up. It is, man, and that's the thing. Everybody's shocked at me because I tell them, I said, "Man, I want, I want one of those Broncos. I want a two door, though. I don't, I don't want the four door." And but still, 
it's just they're just too much. I'm just like, man, I'm not paying that for. I was like, I could just get an old Bronco and fix it and still have something cool for way right. less, you know. <laughs> yeah. The funny part is, in the back of my mind, I keep telling, shut up, shut up. Don't matter. Right. The money I'm paying to rent my little shop, I could have any car I wanted in the driveway. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have any place to put my tools and I'm going to work on anything, but, you know. You're right, right. Yeah, but it's yeah, a trade-off. Yeah, but I'd rather be able to fix my junk and work on my junk because sometimes I get... Like, if I don't go to my shop often enough, I start getting ornery and surly and, and everything bothers me. And then I go work on a car and forget about it all. And then I'm all good again. Right. It's therapy. It is, man. And that's the thing. Everybody asks me, it's like, how are you out there every damn day? I'm like, mm, it's, just, it's just what I do. It's just, it's regular to me. You know, but if I don't come out, and Nikki knows it too. She's like, I'll be inside. And I'll be in there for a little while. I might go in for a day. And she's like, you might as well just go on back outside. Because like you said, I start getting grumpy and shit. <laughs> right. Don't want to eat. <laughs> Everything is annoying and bothersome all yep. of a sudden. Yep. And uh, she's like, just go outside. Just just go on outside. That's where yeah. you want to be. Get out there. And so, yeah. yeah, come out. Unfortunately, my shop's fifteen. Fortunately or unfortunately, my shop's fifteen miles from my house. But mm, like, I right. got so much to do around the house. It's some of it's even related. I just got to be like, man, mm. I still got to make a schedule. But my work schedule's been all over the place. But if I can ever get to where I got a schedule, I can work on this for an hour, work on that for an hour, get this, get that. Maybe I'll get somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, get caught up with some stuff because life piles stuff up every day. Oh yeah, it does, man. It's, it's- crazy. It does. It piles up quick on you. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you said, we get through it. All right, man. I appreciate it, bro. And keep in touch. You can text me whenever, whatever. Sounds good. Yeah, man. And then, um, yeah, we'll have to figure out a time where we can get get you back on and do another one, you know, and just keep it just whatever, man. Just talking Sounds stories. Good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because I'm not opposed to having the same person on, you know, it's because they're telling something different. It's not like they're saying the same thing over and over. Yeah, I was telling my wife, like, well, dang, because I'm in my 50s now. I'm like, I got a lot of stories. And she's like, just answer questions. Don't just ramble on. I'm like, oh, okay. But then it happens anyway, because this starts, that became, oh, that's where that came from. And next thing you know, you're like, okay. Right, right. No, man, it's totally cool. Like, it's just, I mean, it's like my dad, you know, he'll start talking. He'll go off, he'll ramble. Oh, shit, man. So right now I'm 45, and he tells me, he's like, you're talking like an old person, you know, because I just keep talking, 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 because there's always some shit to say. (laughs) Always, always. Always, man. But definitely, man, I appreciate you coming on and uh, doing this with me. I appreciate you. appreciate you having me. Heck yeah. Yeah, no problem, man. Like I said, thank you, because like I tell everybody, man, without you guys, whatever I'm doing don't mean shit. It would just right. be me. Yeah, you got to have somebody. Yeah, because it would just be me saying, hey, you know. And, you know, so, no, I appreciate you guys. Thanks, man. Hey, thank you, brother. I'll talk to you later. Okay, talk to you soon. All right. That was the S10 Rat, and you can find him on Instagram at S10 Rat, as well as you can find me at Patina Code on Instagram. Before we get out of here, I'd like to send a big shout-out to my homies, LS Fabrication. Joe's Racing Products, and Champion Cooling Systems. Also, like to remind you to check out 
a YouTube series. Just hop on YouTube, type in Patina Code. We are building a 1952 Chevrolet truck. The name of the YouTube series is So You Want to Build an AD, an advanced design Chevrolet truck. And it's my take on, um, I guess you would say a quote unquote, how to from a non-professional standpoint. I've been having a lot of fun with this and a lot of people are enjoying it. So if you're not familiar with that, please go check it out. You don't have to subscribe, just check it out. And then you get kind of like a behind the scenes look at how I put this damn thing together. You know, there's a lot of one minute takes on Instagram for those of you who are following me on Instagram. But yeah, I think it's uh, it's pretty fun. It's been pretty cool. And I'm doing a lot of new things that I usually haven't done because I'm building it from a perspective of someone who might not know all the ins and outs on building a vehicle. So I'm using a lot of bolt-on things and just doing some homemade stuff, man. All right, I'm going to get out of here. I appreciate you guys out there. Thanks for listening. Stay with me.